Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is episode number 44 with our guest, Doug Vermeeren. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there, guys. Thank you for tuning in and joining us. Welcome right into the studio. You're tuned directly into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. My guest today is really a highly successful international top performer in the fields of motivational speaking and personal development. Truly two of my favorite things, but that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. You'll see everything that I mean. For one, he's also a filmmaker and is the producer and director of, get this, three of the 10 leading personal development movies ever made. With that, he's interviewed 400, count them, 400 of the world's business and motivational leaders, which has become the basis for his book, Personal Power Mastery. I have read the book inside and out. And wow, if you want the manual for upping your personal business and financial success, get a copy immediately. I assure you, there is so much to sink your teeth into. Help me welcome our guest today to the show right there. It's Doug Vermeeren. What's going on, Doug? Hey, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. I fully agree. Um, I wanted to talk about happiness at the top of the show, but as you know, you and I were chatting before we hit record. We're going to get to happiness. Let's leave happiness to the side for a minute. What we were talking about, uh, like I said, before we hit record, I was intrigued by so much of what you do that I, I said, you know, personally, I don't like the question, but just I, I want to know how you answer it what do you do? And we were talking about how that's such a, you know, it's such a difficult question and an sometimes arbitrary question. I personally struggle with it, but I loved where our dialogue went. So if you could share with me, Doug, what is it that you do? Well, I, I said that that's an old man's question, actually, because the truth of the matter is, is in our society today, especially with entrepreneurs, they're always shifting gears. What you did yesterday is definitely not what you're going to do today or in the future. And, you know, it's often interesting when people do ask me that question. I didn't answer what I always say. What I always say, people say, Doug, what do you do for a living? And my answer is as little as possible. And I delegate the rest. 
And that's the smart man's answer. You see, the problem I think with too many entrepreneurs, and I know this is a lot of your audience here, is they try to do all the heavy lifting themselves. So while I own interests in a lot of different companies and I have many things that I've accomplished or many things I get paid on, I actually try not to do too much. I actually try to find people who can support me in that journey. In fact, it's funny because before you were talking about one of my assistants, Missy, I brought up another one, Rachel, and we've talked about some of the girls that we have working in the office. You know what? I know they're going to listen to this. They're going to kill me. But the truth of the matter is, is there's people in my own company that work far harder than me. <laughs> and I think that's the way it should be. Like that's the way smart business is done, right? Oh, yeah. Now, um, credits wise and credentials wise and what you've accomplished wise, fill us in. Connect those dots. What do you do? What have you done? What is your world about? Yeah, for sure. You know what? We're going to kill that. How did that even happen? Sorry. That's all right. That's all, all okay. It's my son. He knows better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, so what do I do? Here's a great question. So uh, I've written uh, probably about two dozen books now. I, I write a lot on topics such as entrepreneurship, wealth, etc. cetera. Uh, you've got one of our newest books, Personal Power Mastery, in your hands. But I also put out a book last week called The Entrepreneur's Book of Secrets. I've also written a ton of books on wealth and finance. I'm a regular on Fox, on CNN, on ABC, and all of the television networks talking about money and wealth. I'm the producer of three of the top 10 personal development movies that are out in the marketplace today. In fact, we've got another one that we've just created. We're actually in talks to do a television pilot also on building wealth and helping you get to your first million. I host a podcast called Your First Millions on the Way, and I own quite a few businesses. In fact, I buy and sell businesses the same way that people flip houses. So I'll buy an undervalued business that has massive potential that maybe doesn't have the technology in it yet or the right team behind it, and I'll give it a facelift, and then I'll send it right out the door, and we'll profit on that. So I, I do quite a few different things. Um, yeah, <laughs> where, do we, I, where do we start? I can't, uh, I can't wait to start diving into some of those. Uh, and then you also have a magazine, right? You own a magazine? Yeah, yeah. We actually, actually, I own two magazines. Here's one of them called Entrepreneur Success, but I also own a magazine called Money which uh, focuses on finance. Unfortunately, I don't have a copy here to hold up and show you, but we're on audio anyways. But That's right. Yeah, so yeah, I've got two magazines and we're looking at maybe doing a few others in the future. Uh, the, the thing that's maybe a bit different than our, the, about our magazines that maybe you don't see with some of the other ones nowadays, so many people are launching online magazines and you know they come in an app and all these things, and that's wonderful, but I'm still a big believer that uh, most people prefer to have a hard copy magazine that they can take with them on an airplane and places where you're not gonna get connectivity, right? Yeah, you know what I love about you and your current life is um, it's, it, it seems to scratch all the itches I have. Um, you know, I spent, uh, I spent many years as an actor and filmmaker, and I, I always have my eye on at least bringing some of those skills, talents, desires, and passions to what I do today. Uh, but I always have an interest in, you know, that world. And uh, like you said, um, I love writing books and I love speaking and I don't buy and sell businesses, but that whole concept just intrigues me. So, so really good, good on you for, for doing this. What an exciting life. Is that an, oh, we have lots statement? of fun. Yeah, it definitely is. And you know what the crazy thing is too, is uh, something I didn't mention, which is probably my biggest priority is my family. And, um, uh, you know, I've got three kids, they're all for sale, but my grandkids, <laughs> I have two grandkids as well. They're not for sale. So we're pretty excited about that. Wow. That's amazing. You don't even look old enough to, uh, to barely have a child or two. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I guess we hide it well. 
Yeah. So <laughs> let's now let's talk about happiness because uh, I know that uh, part of your your book, the one that I devoured, Personal Power Mastery, um, that's a big uh, chunk of it. And I'd love to get your take on it because what I yeah. what I find about happiness, I've spent so much of my life, decades, in fact not not being happy at all and quite in fact quite the opposite a lot of anger frustration aggravation confusion you know all that so what i when i'm thinking about happiness today it's so intriguing because i feel like it can be here one moment and gone the next and the scary thing i found is that we often seek happiness from an outside circumstance and then when we get it um, we're currently happy. We have a strong knowledge that it can go away at any moment. Someone or something can literally take it from us at any time. And you can't possibly be happy or enjoy the happiness if you're aware that, okay, this is mine now. But is it, it, it's always like, okay, somebody could take it. How do we remedy that issue? Well, you know, I think the first thing is, is we've got to understand that uh, that, that point of view of happiness being dependent on outside sources is actually a very reactionary state, right? It's not very proactive at all. In fact, um, if we look at, for example, when I did the movie, The Gratitude Experiment, which gratitude is a form of happiness, we, we notice that there are two kinds of gratitude. There's gratitude in and there's gratitude for. And most people really understand gratitude for, that's I'm grateful for my house, my car, my bank account, my girlfriend, blah, 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 blah. But they don't understand gratitude in, which is actually self-sufficient, which doesn't require outside sources. So that's maybe the first thing to recognize is that as soon as gratitude becomes authentic, it becomes gratitude in. And that's happiness in the same way. Now, let me also share a really kind of interesting insight that I gained as I was doing the interviews with the world's top achievers and then measuring that against kind of for the last decade, we've been teaching personal power masteries as a seminar, right? And so as I've had like tons of people through the door, like we've had thousands of people to observe and recognize people have come in, you know, with foreclosures, bankruptcies, divorces, terminal illness, all like every catastrophe you could imagine to humankind. Here's the thing with happiness. You've heard it said that happiness is a choice, right? You've heard that. What most people don't understand, that's only part of the equation. Happiness is a choice, but it also has consequences to it. Every choice has consequences. So what happiness truly is, and my definition of it, is finding peace with the choice that you make and the consequence that follows. Now, here's another thing to just kind of share why most people are missing that. It's because most people don't really know what they want in the long term. So therefore, they don't create consequences that are going to please them. In fact, the majority of people base their choices on immediate gratification. And there's a difference between happiness and fun. Most people seek after what's going to be fun. And oftentimes, if we look carefully at our choices, anytime it's attached to immediate gratification, whether that's with relationships, you know, you want a one night stand or you want the right girlfriend and you're not going to pay the price to be the right person, or you quickly want finances and you do something immediate gratification to get money in the door or whatever, or maybe you want to have a nice new, you know, car or something. We always put ourselves in harm's way or at least jeopardize our happiness because we trade what we want most for what we want now. And that does not create a lasting consequence with peace. Wow. Wow. That just, I'm going to have to uh, rewind those past two minutes. So if you're <laughs> listening, click rewind and just listen to that again. How wonderful is that? I want to talk about choice 
and mm-hmm. happiness. First of all, I love um, how you um, how you spelled all that out. And it's also true. And this was so hard for me to grasp for eternity. The whole concept of the easy example is I'm not happy now. I will be happy when mm-hmm. I have more money. And it's really backwards, right? You have to, like you said, is that the gratitude in? You have to find the gratitude in right now in order to attract the more money? Well, you said something actually really interesting there too that I think is worth noticing. Like I teach wealth and finance all around the world. In fact, we do a course called Your First Millions on the Way where I teach people how to make their first million. Because what's harder, your first or your second? Well, obviously, your first is harder. But here's the deal. What's misunderstood by most people is they think that money problems are created by money. And that's actually not true at all. Go ahead. Yeah, if you don't have enough money or if you are experiencing scarcity or you're experiencing lack, it actually starts, first of all, with the way that you perceive your situation and how you create it, right? So most people, in fact, have one foot in scarcity while they're trying to create abundance. In other words, they're always saying, I don't have enough, et cetera, and they're making their choices from that position. Let me put it this way. If an opportunity comes to you and someone says, decide, would you like to do this? And you say, well, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough opportunity. The truth is, is you're making a decision with, with a false understanding of what decision is. Decision does not affect the present. You're already there, right? If you don't have enough money to make the decision, it's because you've already made decisions in the past that have created not enough money. If you want to have more money, you need to make a new decision. You need to look at things with a new perspective. The only thing that will bring more money into your life is by doing something different than what you've done in the past. So that requires a new decision. So if we're looking about this idea, it's not money that's created the problem that you're in. It's your poor decisions from the past. And if you want to get out of that and you want to have more money to solve that problem in the future, you've actually got to approach things much differently than what you've already done. Mm, So good. So good. Thanks for bringing all that. I, I like to shift this for a minute into the concept of fear because this whole brand and title is The Hidden Entrepreneur. And that arised because personally, for decades, I was living in an utter state of fear mixed with anxiety, anger, confusion, angst, frustration, all of that. And I just couldn't get myself out because I was so afraid, so fearful. And the frustrating thing I got to add is that I was intelligent enough to know my abilities. I was like, that's what frustrated me. I said, why, am, why is this happening? I'm, I'm yeah. better than this. I'm smarter than this. I'm intelligent, more intelligent than this. Or so I thought, but I didn't see the world reacting in that way until I said, my, well, look how, you're, look how you're showing up. So can you give us yeah. an example in your world? And I know we touched upon this before yeah. we went on the air and I loved what you said about it. Tell me about how you view fear in your everyday life. Yeah. Well, the question that you asked me before was, have I ever had an experience where I felt fear, like to face something like the moment of a hinge where I had to really face some massive fear and overcome it to create a success or life changing event in my life. And the truth of the matter is, is I believe that you need to be feeling uh, this, this fear all the time. If you're not fearing kind of this future that's arriving, you're not dreaming big enough. If you're facing something that doesn't freak you out a little bit, you're not, you're not really facing it big enough. Now here's something interesting because on the other side of fear, and as you ask this question, I thought about this kind of cool story. The opposite side of fear is courage, right? To have the courage to face it. And you know, we tell this little story at the personal power mastery seminars that I think is worth sharing here. 
that defines what courage is and how you can beat fear. By the way, do you want to know something interesting also about fear while we're on this topic? Of course. Fear cannot, it cannot exist in the present. It requires the future. In other words, and you're in the middle of danger, let's say that there's an explosion that goes off and you've got to run and save some lives. You don't think about it. You don't really worry about being afraid. You just do it. But when people have to think about, well, what if I did this and that didn't work? That's when we get afraid. We mm. put ourselves in a future circumstance and create an imaginary reality that may never arrive and that paralyzes us. So let's talk about courage for a minute. And I just want to reiterate what you said. Again, fear does not exist in the present. Think about that. Fear only yeah. exists in the future. Fantastic. And, and, and you see it too. If you've got something that you're procrastinating or putting off, you know what? The minute that you get yourself to work, you're moving. In fact, you know what? One of my favorite favorite interviews that I did with the world's top achievers. One of them was John Rousseau, who was the screenwriter of Night of the Living Dead. You love movies, so let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> Go. John, he, he wrote Night of the Living Dead with George Romero, and he also wrote a bazillion and one other movies along the way. He's still alive, by the way, and he's still writing movies even now. So one time I, I was sitting with John, and I said, wow, John, like you've done all these crazy, awesome movies. What's the hardest thing about writing a movie? And before he could answer, I said, is it coming up with characters? Is it like coming up with a good plot twist? Is it coming up with, you know, a new setting or a new situation? Or finally, after all my little guesses, he stopped me and he just said, no, Doug, it's simply sitting down and writing. Right? So I think this is with most of us. Like we, we overthink crap. We get ourselves too distracted. We don't get started. But if you really want to do something in life, it's easier to create momentum than it is motivation. Right? Hmm. Yeah, well, let's go on to courage here. I want to tell this story because this, this is pretty cool. So Please. if you're going to face fear, you need to have courage. So there was a, there's a story about uh, three Buddhist monks that were sitting with the main monk, the, the priest monk, the, the prophet monk. And the prophet monk says to these three students, he says, what is courage? And the first young man, he gets all you know, smart and he thinks he's going to answer this. He says, well, it's to defend people that can't defend themselves, right? Like the downtrodden and the oppressed. Courage is when you stand in the face of danger on their behalf. Well, the priest, prophet, monk kind of nodded his head and said, well, that's kind of nice. Then he asked the second one and second one thinking that he's going to outdo the first monk says, no, 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 no. Courage is when you have an idea or a belief that you stand up for and you're going to defend it in the face of all danger. You stand for what you know to be true. Well, the main monk, the prophet monk, again, nodded his head. So, well, it's kind of nice. It's interesting. That's the third monk. Well, the third monk now wants to outdo everybody. So he says, courage is duty. When you have been given instructions to do something, you've been given a duty, and you've made a covenant, and you've made a promise and a commitment, you stand for what you know you have agreed to. Keeping your word, that is the strongest form of courage that you can have. Well, of course, the prophet monk, again, nodded his head and didn't really answer yes or no. Well, now all these three monks are curious right what is courage and the main monk then they ask him and he answers and he simply says this he says courage is love and then he explains because if you don't love the people that you're defending you wouldn't defend them you wouldn't be courageous for them it says if you don't love the idea you're standing up for you wouldn't defend it either and if you didn't love your duty you wouldn't do the same so here's the deal for your audience members who are listening to this we don't worry about fear. If it's something we really, really love and we're really, really connected to, here's the biggest thing that I have found is that I'm not worried about fear either when I found my strong why and my true purpose and why I want to get this thing done, even if it's something that faces, like causes me to stretch or causes me to be in harm's way or danger. If I love it enough, I'm gonna do it. 
And I think it's important to recognize that all the successful entrepreneurs, all the successful business owners that I interviewed, all the world's top achievers that I interviewed, which includes even athletics uh, like Olympians and pro athletes and Academy Award winners and Oscar winners, all of these people loved what they did enough that they were able to continue doing it. In fact, here's another fun little interview. One of my favorite interviews, let's talk about the movie guys. Because you're a movie guy, we'll talk more movie guys. Yes, yes. Yep. Edward James Olmos. You remember Commander Adama in Battlestar Galactica? He was on Blade Runner. He was in Miami Vice. He's just done a million movies. He's the coolest guy on the planet, by the way. So I'm sitting with him for lunch, and I say to him, I say, what's your definition of success? And he says to me, you know, a lot of people think success is doing the things that you don't want to do. And he says, that's not success at all. He says, success is finding something that you love and then doing it even when it's hard. And I think that that is a powerful definition of courage as well, because I think most entrepreneurs have never invested the effort to see what they truly love, what they're truly dialed into. And therefore, it's just really easy to knock them off target, right? Really easy to get them to stop. Is this why we make excuses? Because I know so many of us feel fear constantly. And like you said, so maybe they're checking that box where you said, if, if you're not feeling fear enough, uh, you're not you know, doing it right or setting your goals high enough. Um, but somebody might be saying, well, I'm, I'm like, like me, I was in a constant state of fear. So is there a difference between the unhealthy and the accurate fear perceived? Or how do I reconcile that? Well, I, I think the biggest uh, challenge is, is when we let fear stop us right? When we let fear stop us, that's really the determining factor. Because here's the deal is I believe everybody's afraid of, of something. And I believe that the higher you reach, right? What do they say? The higher the levels, the higher the devils. Oh. And so the higher that you reach for something, the higher uh, your goal is, and, and the more it's outside of your comfort zone, the more afraid you get. But here's another thing that I think is just for me has been, uh, it's made me a fortune. So I hope those of you who are listening who want to be rich, just understand this. When we're facing fear or we're facing difficulty or a problem that's bigger than us, the problem with most entrepreneurs is they try to solve it by themselves. They feel like they have to be the answer. And the truth of the matter is, is you don't. Everything that's ever been built in the history of the world that's been at a high level has been built by a team. Even the biggest companies in the world or the biggest accomplishments, even like Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. He had people back in Houston telling him where to park the dang spaceship, right? And uh, you got Sir Edmund Hillary who climbs Mount Everest. He had some Sherpa dude carrying his crap up the hill. We all know that, right? So we've got to understand, it doesn't matter who helps you get there. Your, your name is the one that's on the cover of the album, right? It's going to be you that gets the credit in the end if you organize it right. So don't be afraid and don't think that you need to solve everything yourself. Find people who can give you answers and leverage that, right? That's one of the important things of leverage. We always talk about other people's money, but why not other people's courage as well or their knowledge or their, their authority, their understanding, everything. I want to come hang out with you for a week and just watch you. I'll stand on the side with my coffee and just watch you for a week. Well, you know what's so funny with some of our higher level students, we do actually have a, a mentorship program where people do get to hang out with us for a week. They see how we do our deals. They see kind of the money that rolls through our hands. They see how, you know, and, and at the same time, what's funny is um, some of these people, when they come, as opportunities come to me, I open them up to them too. You want to do this with me? Come on, let's, mm. let's do it together. And I think, because I think that's the best way to learn. You heard this, give a man a fish and he eats for a day, right? And then this, you know, teach man a fish and he fishes for life. I'm sorry, and I don't know if there's cussing on your show, but I say that that's a load of crap, right? I was going to say bullshit, but okay, that's what it is. Because if you teach a man to fish, he's still just a dude in a classroom, right? So the way that we teach in our programs is I bring you to the lake with me. 
That's what we're going to do. We're going to fish together, and now you can do it yourself. So it's not just enough to be give a man a fish or teach a man to fish. You got to get fishing. Let's go fishing. That's the key. And I think that you know, so many of these uh, you know, personal development programs and out there are all just theory. And the truth of the matter is, is life's too short for theory, man. We need results. That's mm. what we need. I want to go back to the beginning and connect these dots because um, yeah. there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of fascination, a lot of brilliance behind everything you're doing and saying. Um, I want to see how we got here. Take us back yeah. <laughs> to, to uh, young Doug, Doug Vermeeren as a young child. What was that life like? Oh, goodness. I guess it depends on who you ask, right? Because uh, uh, I spent my fair share of time at the principal's office. I wasn't an ideal student. Um, you know, I, I have to admit, I was always kind of the entrepreneurial type. I started my first businesses when I was a kid. In fact, my mom told me that I used to actually um, delegate my chores to the neighborhood kids and pay them a percentage. Oh, stop. So, yeah. So, in fact, I remember we had a big uh, tree on our front lawn that would drop its pussy willows all everywhere. And my mom told me that I could have 10 cents per pussy willow that I, I picked up and she wanted the front lawn cleaned up. Well, I invited a bunch of kids over and I gave them five cents each. And um, that was one of my first things. I think I was in about grade one or grade two at the time. I just wow. didn't feel like doing it. And I don't know what made me think of that. I really don't. But that's something that I did. And I had businesses through junior high and high school that I tried. Now, let's be honest, most of them failed. And um, they weren't super successful. Kind of what made the difference for me is like my father worked in construction. My mom babysat kids in the home. We didn't have a lot of money. They taught me in life working smarter. Their definition was working harder. And mm -hmm. so I just knew that I needed to work, work, work. And I've always been a hard worker. And things really changed for me when I was in about college. I took a job selling pest control in California. And it was door-to-door -door sales. <laughs> anybody who knows door-to-door -door sales that'll is teach definitely you. not great. Yeah, that'll teach you. <laughs> and in fact, I still remember one day I was pushed off of somebody's front step into their bushes. It was awesome. Oh, you yeah. Know, I mean, it just like, no respect, right? If you can get so, through door-to-door -door sales, I think, yeah. you're, I think you're stronger for it. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's as close to prison as our system has. But uh, in all seriousness, um, at that time in my life, I was kind of discouraged and uh, well, not my headset, so, uh, kind of discouraged and um, I didn't really see how this was going to pay off for me. And so I was ready to throw in the towel and all this kind of stuff. I also had student loan debt and all kinds of other debt at the time. So it was really tough for me. And so at the point of just about to quit, uh, a mentor friend of mine who was in his mid sixties, late, you know, late sixties kind of thing, he gave me the book, Think and Grow Rich. And when he gave me that book, this was really my first experience ever with personal development. I really had never heard of it. Uh, you know, that a person could do what he need to do. I just was told that if you do good in school, you'll do good in life. And I didn't do good in school. So I was kind of looking for, you know, a, a better solution. So I read this book, Think and Grow Rich. It changed my thinking, but I have to admit, maybe, yeah, I don't know, the enterprising mind that I have, I kind of became a bit jealous. And what I mean by that is as I read it, you know, here, you know, for those of you who haven't read the book, you remember that Napoleon Hill, right? He interviewed guys like Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, the Wright brothers, the Wrigley's, he interviewed Andrew Carnegie, you know, John D. Rockefeller, all these people. And so I, like I said, became jealous. I decided the way I'm going to learn success isn't by sitting on the sidelines. I've got to kind of like learn directly from somebody like that. How can I get a mentor like that? And so I went out and I started meeting with some people that I knew. In fact, it started with a family friend that had made quite a few million dollars. And I met with him regularly for about a week uh, or every week for about, uh, you know, six months or so. 
And at the end of my time with him, he said something that changed my life. He said, you know, out of all the questions you've asked me so far, you've asked me one question that's going to change everything. Do you want to know what it is? And I said, well, what is it? He goes, you haven't asked me who else I know that you should talk to. And so I said, okay, so what other success guys do you know that I should talk to? And that's kind of what led me to all the other top achievers. And I got to people like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, uh, Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Donald Trump, uh, Oprah Winfrey, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, Howard Putnam, the former CEO of Southwest Airlines, former VP of Customer Service for United, uh, Brian Smith, founder of Ugg Boots, people like Marilyn Tam, former CEO of Nike, Reebok, and Evita Group, Bill Farley, the former owner of Fruit of the Loom. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on of people. And, uh, you know, I continue to ask that question today, and I still meet people at these high levels because of that question. Now, here's the interesting thing is, is I found that the two things that everybody needs to success is number one, a willingness. If you don't have a willingness, I don't care what comes next, you're just not gonna do it, right? So willingness was essential, and at that young age of 19, I didn't wanna be broke. I didn't wanna be you know, kicked to the curb and struggle my whole life, so my willingness was high. It was a high amount of willingness. And the cool thing with willingness is that people are now prepared to invest their skin in the game. And I don't just mean money, money's part of it, but your time, your energy, you're prepared to sacrifice, you're prepared to make trades. And here's the deal, is success, what most people don't understand, it's not what the millennials think where it's just kind of a given. It's actually a trade, a sacrifice is required. You will have to let go of something. In other words, you have to get up off the couch, put the video games down or get off of social media, don't watch TV, you're gonna have to work hard, you're gonna have to trade to get what you want. Now the other part of the equation that goes with that willingness to trade is in fact the correct strategies. It's not enough to just get busy doing something. In fact, I'm really kind of, I giggle. Every time I walk into a Starbucks and I, Starbucks, I see all these guys trying to do their hustle meetings and trying to meet and get more clients and all these kind of things. And they think they're climbing the ladder of success. And the truth of the matter is, is they're just spinning their wheels, spending a lot of time you know, taking meetings with people that aren't going to serve them. So you have to have the correct strategies to build massive wealth in a quick way. Now, here's the cool thing. You ready for the grand finale? Icing on the cake. What happened to me? 19 year old, as soon as I got that question of, I need to start meeting other people who are gonna be able to teach me success, I went out, I started like a sponge absorbing success everywhere I could, and in my first six months of doing that, I did $1.6 million, about $9,000 a day on average, compared to knocking on doors as a door-to-door -door salesperson. It's just a night and day shift, right? What night was the business? Well, you know what, actually a few things. So I, uh, I got involved in various real estate transactions. I got involved in uh, money lending. I started investing some in stocks. I did some stuff with Forex trading. Uh, I don't do Forex anymore, by the way. I lost $60,000 in an hour once. I'm not saying that that's not for some people, but I'm saying find your lane and stick to it. So that's not my lane, but I did that at the time. Uh, and then you know I started a handful of businesses and even flipped them quickly or bought a business and sold a business really quick. And so I was, I was doing pretty big deals. Actually, um, one of the things that I, I found was really easy that your listeners can do is I started collecting business cards. And what I mean by that, well, I should say collecting business cards with a purpose. So I, I collected, uh, and by the way, I did this, this specific deal I'll mention. I did this after that six months, but I did s a smaller degree of this in the beginning. Um, my biggest deal with this is $400,000 in an hour with no money of my own. Let me share how I did it. So with the business cards, I would turn to people that I knew that had money, people that I was meeting, and I would simply say to them, say, listen, if I could find you an opportunity to invest in, um, would you pay me a finder's fee? 
And I got a lawyer, in fact, even to on spec, write me the agreement as long as the deal was going through him for 20% finder's fee. I know for some people, they say that's pretty high. Sometimes, um, you know, people are uh, thinking it's a one or 2% or 3%. No, I said 20% is what I want. And there's no guarantee that I'm going to find you anything. So there's no harm in you signing this. If I find you a deal, sign it and I'll bring you, you know, a good deal. So these people with money say, sure, you find me a good deal, I'll sign that 20% finder's fee. If you find me something that I would participate in that would make me money, no skin off their back. Then on the other set of the business cards, I would meet entrepreneurs, people with ideas, people that would need money, and I would do the same deal with them. They've got no money, they've got nothing to lose, here's the contract, sign for me 20%, and of course the deal would be done through my lawyers. Well, I'll never forget, it was a Christmas Eve a handful of years ago, this is probably about a decade, ago and I got a telephone call I was with my family hanging out at the Pizza Hut buffet Christmas Eve we were just doing some shopping or whatever and the lawyer um, friend of mine he calls me and he says I gotta come see you and I'm like oh it's Christmas Eve man what's going on he's like trust me you want me to come see you I said well tell me what's going on he's like no I'm gonna just I'm gonna show you and so he comes by and as he grabs his little piece of Hawaiian pizza and sits across the table from me he passes this envelope and I'm thinking oh thanks it's a Christmas card and probably has this bill in it thank you right? But no, I opened it up and it was a check for $400,000. And he says, you had two of your people that you've been talking with actually complete a deal just like earlier this morning, the funds transferred and here's a check for you. So, you know, I mean, there's so many clever ways to make money. I'm a firm believer that resources, meaning the money of it, follows resourcefulness. It's, it's, mm. It really is a matter of, uh, of what can you do to be clever to make the money? And if you look at it, like today's entrepreneurs are so brilliant. The fastest zero to a million right now ever recorded is six minutes and 33 seconds. And it was done online by selling products through a variety of affiliates. So here's the question. I find that people who are broke right now are really either broke for two reasons. And it's going to be either that willingness, either they're not willing or they're lazy. They're not willing to sacrifice or step up. And number two, it's always that they just don't have a strategy that could produce or that will work. And if you can solve those two issues, the willingness and the correct strategies, I mean, you can't be stopped. You won't be stopped, right? Fantastic. Resources follow resourcefulness. What a soundbite, huh? Well, it's truth. Always is. How, how in the world did you get into filmmaking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. Oh, that. Yeah. Oh, that. Um, you know, I guess the, the thing that was kind of neat is for me, I had the chance when I was in about grade four or three or something like that to become a background extra for something that came through our city. So I always kind of got bit by that bug. I have to confess, seeing movies like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark didn't hurt either, right? I mean, some of the biggest movies. That's probably why you got involved, movies like that, right? And yes. so um, the truth of the matter is, is uh, for me, I, I'd always been interested in film. And when I got into college, I didn't know what I wanted to do for like my rest of my life, right? In fact, it's funny. My mom thought I should be a heart surgeon. I was like, really? I mean, there's just way too much chemistry there for me, right? And so I, um, I studied some, some classes on acting and film and film production and that. And I just loved it. I fell in love with it. But everybody also told me, you know, be prepared for a, the life of a broke, starving artist. Now, here's the deal is when the movie The Secret came out, what was really interesting is I already knew all the stars of the film The Secret. And I also, like I knew them beforehand because they were among my top interviews. And I also knew quite a few top business leaders. And so while the movie The Secret was kind of starting to climb up, I noticed that. And so even before it reached its sort of crescendo, if you will, I went out and I shot my first movie called The Opus. 
And the crazy thing is, is we included most of the gang from The Secret. So we had Jack Canfield, John Martini, Joe Vitale, Marcy Shamoff, Morris Goodman, Bob Doyle, the whole gang, plus a few other ones like Mark Victor Hansen and a handful of business leaders. And then as The Secret took off, well, we just started putting our marketing out to say, it's not a secret anymore. The next step has arrived. <laughs> and it. what happened is immediately it took off and Random House came and picked it up. They did 23 languages worldwide with the book. And uh, we just had a lot of success. And then from there, obviously, it led to the other films. Now, I have to confess that although we've done a lot of personal development stuff, I've got some plans to do some mainstream Hollywood films as well. In fact, um, we've got one that we're just about to start working on right now called Creepy Zombies. So oh. we'll see how that goes, right? So I hear. you got to throw your zombie movie yeah. in there every once in a while too, right? So. I will um, give you a little bit of full disclosure. While, you know, some, some movies growing up influenced me, I was uh, bitten by the acting bug because I was uh, extremely lonely wasn't getting the proper attention I needed, was cast in a school play, a drug awareness play in eighth grade. I was cast as the comic relief. And for, I don't know if they were laughing at me, near me or with me, but I didn't care. I went on stage, people laughed at what I was doing. And I said, I want more of this in my life. I need this external approval. And decades of unfortunate seeking had begun. Nice. <laughs> well, it's a fun industry. And I mean, you know, what other businesses, aside from being even an entrepreneur, can you get, can you get paid for just playing? Oh, yeah. Right? Playing with creativity. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be doing other movies, I'm sure. It's just something that's always been part of me. But, um, you know, I mean, the, the challenge I think that uh, has now been solved with the whole filmmaking thing is I, I'm, I'm so grateful for the technology that's available that almost anybody can become creative and there's so many platforms online where you can share it. So it comes back to this idea, whereas in the old school ideas is, you know, there were gatekeepers that controlled our dreams, our destiny. But nowadays, screw that. You can do whatever you want. You just got to find the right support and hustle, right? There's so many vehicles. You don't need to get anyone's permission to pursue your dreams anymore. And that's awesome. And I, I, let's, let's go down that road for a minute because I think that that's what we're saying, that too many of us are trapped in fear, not taking that first step because even looking at it as an excuse, we think, oh, well, it's just too, it's just too big of a thing to, to accomplish, to tackle. So we stay put. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting if we looked at it from a brain science and psychology point of view, because I've had a chance to do a lot of, you know, research with that now with the context of the 400 achievers we've interviewed. The, the simple way to put it is that your brain will never get started with what it could do. It always gets started with what it can do. And so the problem with most people is they have this big lofty dream, but they don't recognize what can I do in the immediate right now, the first step that would be in the right direction. And because they can't identify what that first step would be, they don't do anything at all. Now, I'm going to share something that's, that's maybe kind of a little bit, I don't know, contrary to what everybody's being taught, but it's the truth. So let's call it right. Like I'm not uh, going to try and not hurt anybody's feelings here. This idea of this goal setting stuff that everybody is teaching right now is write it down, set a date, the smart, measurable, achievable, all this kind of bull crap. It doesn't work. Okay. It does not work. That's not the way that humans are built to get to their goals. And that's why so many people fail. And so many people set new year's resolutions and they bomb out on that too. The truth of the matter is, is 
if you look at where that form of goal setting comes from, and I have, it actually came from assembly line manufacturing. If you want X amount of pieces of junk at the end, you got to do this, this, and this to create that on the assembly line. Well, the problem with that is we're human beings, not human doings. And when we hit something that's not going to get us motivated or it's difficult to do, we often lose steam and we cut it out. The other thing about that is on an assembly line, you need to become an expert at any given little thing. Well, go ahead and read Malcolm Gladwell's book called Outliers. And to become an expert at any given thing, you need 10,000 hours. So it just doesn't work. That fails. So here's the deal. This is how people really do it. And by the way, it's not a new formula. Aristotle was talking about this way, way back in his era. And in fact, he said, he called it the law of probability the law of probability, he said, that which is probable is most likely to happen. I know that sounds kind of silly. That which is probable is most likely to happen. But if we put on our cerebellum cap right now and start going really deep with this. Big word. Is, I love it. There you go. The <laughs> truth is, is that that is how everything is achieved. You increase the probability or the likelihood that it will occur. So let me give it to you in a very easy to understand point of view. Let's say we got a football field, 100 yards across, right? You're standing at one end and there's a bullseye on the other. In your hand, you've got a dart. Well, what are the chances are that you're gonna throw this dart and hit the bullseye from 100 yards? Pretty slim, hey? But if you took a step forward, what happens to your chances? They increase, right? You take another step forward, your chances increase. And with every single step you take forward, your chances are increasing. So here's what goal setting really is about. It's learning how to increase and control your probability. And that happens by the people that you meet, the places that you go, the knowledge that you gain, and all the strategies that you bring in and how frequently you do it. So in other words, if you wanna be a big Hollywood actor, there are people that you meet that can open the door for you. And the more of those people that you meet and the more frequently you spend time with them, the easier it's going to be for you to use those relationships to open your door. The next one, like I said, is knowledge. There's things that you need to know and understand to be a top Hollywood player. And the more that you learn that, and I'm going to suggest like Brian Tracy said, and Brian Tracy is a buddy of mine, also a Canadian. He said that if you want to become in the top 10% of your industry, read one book a month on that subject. Now, I'm going to here to tell you, I read between 10 and 15 books a month. You can follow me on social media. I post everything I read. Let's get to the top of the food chain as quick as we can, folks. We're here on the planet of the earth. We're only going around once. Let's get to the top as fast as we can. So knowledge, important. Learn every day. The next is geography. If you want to be a Hollywood actor, I don't care if you're in Browning, Montana. It's not going to work. You need to move to a location that's going to serve and support you. Again, Los Angeles, New York, Toronto, Hong Kong. London. One of these places is going to be better for you than Browning, Montana, right? So sometimes you need to shift where you are. Now, in some dreams, it's just a matter of you getting off the couch, man. Sometimes you're spending too much time. You want to become a dancer? Watching Dances with the Stars will not do it, right? In fact, you've got more in common with the other people watching the show than you do with the people on the show. Let's think about that for a minute. And then lastly, as I mentioned, frequency. So if you really want to get to your goals, you need to learn how to increase the probability. And that happens every single day and in every single way. It's this idea where people talk about that, you know, oh, he's so lucky. Well, you know what? Because he keeps putting himself in the way of the opportunity. Eventually, it's going to hit, right? So I think this is just so important for the listeners to listen to. You want to become rich, you got to start associating with rich people, learning what rich people know, and putting yourself in the right geography. You want to become a movie star, same thing. Whatever you want to do, you need to do that by increasing the probability. That's 
that's absolutely genius. The way that I've realized that whole thing, and of course you can apply, whether it's a Hollywood actor or a new business or a new goal, like you said, all of that is applicable. I've realized that in the, uh, in the sense of, like you said, uh, New Year's resolutions, what's one of the big ones? Oh, I want to go to the gym. And 99% of the people may go, may not go, but it doesn't last. And what I've realized is that that's, that's a goal or, or that's, a, that's an end result that isn't properly motivated or thought out because they haven't realized, well, why, what am I looking to achieve? Am I looking to lose weight? Am I looking to build muscle? Am I looking to impress somebody? What am I looking to do? Why do I want to do it? And without that, you, you also, like you alluded to, you have all these other things that need to happen either before or at least in conjunction with that. So have a goal of wanting to get to the gym but stop drinking soda. Maybe you stop, <laughs> right? Like well, start small. And, and it's so cool that you say this too, because we've got a saying that we share in personal power mastery. And that's that a goal that is specific and clear becomes attainable and near. And the problem with most people is they never get specific and clear. It's kind of like what Stephen Covey says in seven habits of highly effective people. Brilliant book. I love this guy to death. Um, Stephen said that the problem with many people is that they climb the ladder of success only to see that it's leaning against the wrong wall. So, the problem with most of us is we put in all this effort in our life. We, you know, we're, we're either working at a job or we're doing deals or we're trying to, but we don't really know in the end what we want. And so we're building stuff that really has no relevance to us, right? We're not dialed into what we really want. So I think one of the most important things that a person can do in the beginning is just take some time and get some clarity and measure that with your values. Now, do you want to know something really kind of cool, which we discovered? Um, and again, maybe I'm going to beat down a lot of what the gurus say. Okay. So here's one thing I'm going to beat down right off the bat. You've heard the saying that I'll do this in my best kind of fortune cookie tone. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single footstep, right? We've heard that, right? I'm saying that that is a recipe for disaster. The truth of the matter is, is a, who wants to be walking around the desert for a thousand miles? That sounds like a freaking damn waste of time. So let's rewrite the fortune cookie a little bit better. The journey to where you want to go begins with a single footstep in the right direction. And this is the problem with most people is they never know where they want to go. So they never start in the right direction. Mm. They're wandering all over the whole freaking desert to find something that may not even exist. We need to overcome that. Now, let me share with you one other little kind of cool tip on this. You've heard so many gurus say, well, if you want to be successful. You've got to find your passion and your purpose, right? Like, live according to your passion and your purpose and what you love is going to manifest itself and you'll get everything you want if you follow your passion and your purpose. I'm here to say bullshit. Sorry. It's just not going to happen. The way that you will be successful isn't to follow solo your own passion and purpose by yourself, right? That's a nomad who's wandering the desert again, all by himself, trying to figure out who he is. The truth of the matter is, is we are uh, a very social species as humans. And if you think about it, all of your satisfaction and relationships are not going to be by yourself, right? Well, I mean, there's guys doing that with their computer. That's their thing. But if you really want to have a relationship with a real person, it's going to require a real person. And if you also want abundance, you've got to recognize that all money comes through another person. In other words, it's a transaction. You can't, you know, you can't do it by yourself. And so if we're looking at about this idea of passion and purpose and creating success, you know, Warren Buffett said it best. He said, what you love about you is your hobby. What others love about you is your business. And so if we can find a way to get our passion and our purpose 
to overlap with the passion and purpose of someone else. Now, all of a sudden, we find a passion that really does have purpose because it's serving not just you, but someone else, and that someone else can also give you back so that you're fulfilled within your purpose. Is this making sense? So your passion and your purpose need to coincide with someone else's passion and purpose. And the more people that you can find, whether it's you know using marketing to attract those people into place or whatever other vehicle you're using to find these people who resonate with you, you're gonna find success. When they get your vibe, they're gonna become your tribe. And the problem with most people, I think they're too selfish in their passion and purpose. What do I love? And it's about what I do. Well, if you're not useful and valuable, it doesn't matter what you love and you do. You're going to be doing it by yourself and you're going to be broke. So your passion must have a purpose. It must be valuable to someone else. And I'm not saying that, you know, it can't be fun. If you look at, again, let's take movies for an example that we both love. You know, people might say, you know, a guy like Tom Cruise, well, his passion is acting. But you know what? He's found a way to do that and to share that in a way that other people are passionate enough to see the adventures he acts in. And that's where the money comes, right? So where does it overlap? Ask that question. You've, you've brought up money a few times and I want to uh, go down that path for a minute. Um, I'd love to get your view on, on a couple of sub questions within this category. One, is money important? Two, yes. <laughs> why do we have such an emotion around the concept of money? And three, what was your, is, is your upbringing, uh, because you said a lack of money, is that why you find yourself reveling in it today? Well, here, here's the deal is money in a sense, let's be honest, it is important. You know, Zig Ziglar said that it ranks right up there with oxygen. And although we may laugh, I think it's totally true. And some people say, well, you know, money isn't happiness. Well, you know what? Bo Derek once said, then they just don't know where to shop. <laughs> and that's kind of true too. Uh, the way I look at money is money actually represents the ability to tap into our greatest potential. Everything nowadays has an admission ticket. Whether you want to go to school, whether you want to travel the world, whether you want to have special experiences. When you go into a restaurant, you can't just say, oh, I feel like I'm hungry. You need to pull out some cash, friend. And so money is an important thing. Now, the other thing that I think with that, let's go back. This isn't a new discovery, by the way. Let's go back to even the book that was the foundation for the movie, The Secret, The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles came out in 1910. Wallace D. Waddles said this, whatever may be said in praise of poverty, the fact remains that a person is not truly successful until they are rich. Now, rich, in my opinion, does have a lot to do with money, but it doesn't stop there. And this is where the general public has this feeling this icky feeling around money. They think it really has to do with exclusively the numbers in your bank account. The truth of the matter is, is the numbers in your bank account are a report card of how well you understand abundance, right? Because when you understand how abundance comes, the financial part comes automatically. It comes automatically. Most people don't understand it. But here's the deal. When you have it, you can open doors. And this idea that the root of all evil comes from the love of all money, well, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that if we really looked at that carefully, um, all evil actually comes from a variety of things. In fact, I've seen a lot of poor people that end up, you know, actually, let me even just give you a, a more accurate statistic. They say that the average person in, in jail in the United States has an annual income of about $16,000 or had an annual income of $16,000. You don't see too many millionaires in jail in relation to how many people are really there. The percentage, the ratio of millionaires to the average person, um, very, very low. 
So it's not poverty that's creating crime or evil. It's actually a feeling of scarcity that there's not enough. Now there's people at the high, high end who have money that are still in a scarcity mentality. Don't you kid yourself. In fact, it's funny. Um, I, I, one of my favorite sort of ideas around that came from my buddy, Bob Proctor. I was sitting with Bob one time and, and Bob was talking to me about money and he said, money is just a big magnifying glass. That's all it really is. He says, if you're a jerk before you got money, you'll be a bigger jerk even after. And the same is the opposite is true is if you're a good person, you're going to be better with money. So money doesn't define who you are. You define who you are. Money just opens more doors to be more of what you really want to be. And so I think that that's really important. Now, this idea just to, uh, about money, which I think is kind of, you know, wow, if we had more time, I'd love to unfold this concept because there, there's some massive ahas here. And we teach this in your first millions on the way. By the way, we do it as a podcast. It's free. So if you want to learn this stuff, come join us. Your first millions on the way. But um, willing to it. Yeah. One of the things that's, that's really kind of cool is there was a study done a handful of years ago that identified the three places that everybody spends their money. There's only three places you can spend your money. The first one is quality of life. Okay. And quality of life obviously takes care of you. There's things that, you know, your clothing, your necessities, your car that you drive, the trips that you do, all these kind of things. And that's important. And by the way, I'm a firm believer that every purchase, including quality of life is an investment. And if you don't believe me, look at people who, for example, don't get their Starbucks or they don't get the healthcare they need, or they don't get, like people behave according to how their quality of life is. It's an investment. The second place we spend our money is what we call to create. And that can be everything from education to building a business, to buying investments, to buying real estate with investment purposes, et cetera. And then the last place that we spend our money is called to contribute. And that's to give back. And that's either giving to a charity that's giving to, uh, you know, the community you live in, creating a legacy, sharing with family, all of these things. Now I'm not going to get into the details of all of those, but the second one is where all money is made. You don't make money paying for your quality of life and you generally don't make money doing contribution unless it's from a tax benefit point of view. You do it by creating. But that final one of contribution is actually really kind of interesting because on quality of life, the first one, we buy things and we feel good, but it's temp typically temporary, right? But on contribute, we don't just feel good, we experience joy. And if you think about it, when you give money to causes or things that you love and appreciate, whether it's your church or whether it's the children's hospital or the girl guides or whatever it is, there's a, there's a feeling of contribution that you can't get in the other two categories. And so if we're talking about this idea around legacy and money, the reason why I do it is it gives me so much more power to actually experience more joy by giving back. And, you know, I think most people kind of because they don't understand these three areas, if you look at their bank statement, you took a highlighter with a color representing each of those things, you'd find that most people are spending far too much on the quality of life. They're not creating enough and they're also not giving enough. But here's what Jim Rohn said. Jim Rohn said about giving, he said, you can't give from an empty piggy bank. And so if people really understood the economics of how money works, they would understand they need to create more. As soon as they create more, the other two areas, quality of life and contribution also get funded better. And so the first thing that we need to learn how to do is to recognize the difference between an asset and simply buying something that's fun. And most people, like I said at the very top of this interview, most people aren't finding happiness because they're focused on immediate gratification. They're not looking at a long-term strategy result. And the cool thing about this whole thing that we discovered with Personal Power Mastery is your life can shift faster than you ever imagined. 
It doesn't take long for you to create and start seeing the benefits. I did it in six months, $1.6 million as a 19 year old. I wasn't very smart and I still did it, right? Same thing with others that have come through our training. They've gotten to their goals very quickly and they're closer to their goals than they ever imagined. In fact, using that law of probability that we talked about, most people can get themselves closer to their goals in almost record time because they start recognizing what are the things in my life that would actually increase the probability versus me just spinning my wheels and randomly engaging in activities day to day, not having priorities and not knowing how to make things happen and therefore things don't happen. So that clarity is so important. Wow. We could really, like you said, we could talk about that all day. Absolutely incredible. You've, you've been through so much, so much excitement, so much success as it's defined. Looking back on your younger self, what would you, what would you say to that person? <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Continue. Um, see, here's the deal. I, I know there's a... There's a lot of people that, uh, you know, we bumped into. In fact, I see this all the time at the wealth seminars. Like this is a totally common thing, man. I wish I knew what I knew now way back in like grade five. And the truth of the matter is, is you wouldn't have been able to do it then. Right. And, and the other thing too, is, you know, the time is now the time is right. There's never been a better time in the history of the world for you to pursue your dreams and not just because of what you know, but everything else around you. I mean, if I took what I knew right now back to grade five, um, we didn't have the internet there, folks, right? We didn't have a lot of the technology that was there. Right now, we live in what we call the greatest time of convergence. Now, what the heck does that mean? Well, let's just pull out your iPhone for a minute or your phone. Did you know that on your phone, it's not a phone. We all know this already. It's got a computer. It's got a camera. It's got the apps that you download. It's got access to social media. It's got, you know, contact lists. Like, it's got everything in it. Everything is converged into one or two tools nowadays. And there's never been a time in the history of the world when you can do that. Literally, from your phone, you can create a multi-million dollar enterprise. Again, it comes back to the resources follow the resourcefulness. What are you doing with it? Well, some people use their phone to play Bejeweled. Great rewards on that, right? Some people play Farmville. Great rewards on that. Other people actually use these tools to create empires. And you can too. You just need to get committed. And back to this idea, you need to decide you're going to sacrifice things that are kind of fun and novel, sparkly, shiny, ADD kind of things. And you need to put yourself on track to do what you know you need to do with the right strategies. That's the whole issue here. There's so much that stands out with this dialogue. And right now, the one that just keeps popping back is that increase your probability. It seems 100%. it's so logical, so easy. That. I know. But you know what? I'm the only guy out there talking about this. No one's ever revealed that strategy till here. And I'm like, what the heck? And, and I can tell you kind of why. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to criticize anybody. But, you know, the crazy thing is, is when The Secret came out, so many people said, I'm a law of attraction coach. And they never had any experience with it. Same thing with business or life coaching. People attend a Tony Robbins event. Next thing you know, they're teaching his stuff, which by the way is plagiarism. And then they claim that they have all the answers for your life. Well, the truth of the matter is, is when you're dealing with a person like that, you're getting a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of somebody else's material. This is why our program is so successful because I actually went out and I did the interviews with the world's top achievers. I'm not talking theory here. We're talking results and the people that come through us get results and they've actually got the real strategies that work. The law of probability is a real thing and it will take you to higher levels with whatever you want to do. 
So you get to decide what that's going to look like. And then it's just a matter of you getting out there and doing it. And the way that you described it, tell me if I have it perfectly um, with your um, analogy example. On a football field, if I'm on one end with a dart and on the other end is a bullseye, I need to each step that I take forward towards that bullseye is going to increase the probability that I will hit my target. 100%. And as we said, the ways you're going to do that, every step forward that you take will either be by the people that you meet, the things that you learn, the places that you go, and how frequently you do it. And you can never meet enough people. You can never learn enough. You can never, ever go to enough places, especially if you're an entrepreneur. And by the way, I can always tell who's destined for success and who really believes, who really believes in an idea or believes in their business, who really believes it by that law of probability. They'll be doing something every single day, minimum. In fact, one of my uh, really good friends, Jack Canfield, and the other friend, Mark Victor Hansen, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, um, when I interviewed Jack for our movie, The Opus, he told me something really kind of interesting. He said to me, he goes, Chicken Soup for the Soul is now the best-selling book series of all time. He said, in fact, the only book that's ever outsold Chicken Soup for the Soul is the Bible. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm. The only book. And so he was like, would you like to know how we did it? I'm like, yeah, well, okay. How did you create this ultimate best-selling book? He says, we just decided that every day we were going to do a minimum of five things to make the book happen or make the book, promote the book, market the book, something. Every day, five things. Now, the interesting thing with most people, because they don't have a definite game plan, they don't know exactly where they're going, they might do something today. They might not do something tomorrow. They get lost in a job the next day. They, you know, here's the deal. In life, if you pay now, you get to play later with interest. Or you can play now, and you'll also pay later with interest. Mm. So if you're going to create success, again, if you believe in something, like I said, I can always tell if somebody really believes in an idea by how much they're going to get behind it. And they're not afraid to lose because losing isn't, you know, it, how, how do we say this? Rich people look at opportunities, broke people look at obstacles. We don't have one foot in scarcity and try and create abundance. You can never attract abundance if you've got one foot in scarcity. And it's so interesting to notice that even people try to attract success, but they criticize it. You never attract what you criticize. And that includes your own level of hard work. If you say, well, I don't feel like doing it. I don't know if this will make a difference for me. You're criticizing it. And you'll never attract what you need. Put it this way. The universe is an echo chamber. And how you approach it is what shows up. If you approach it with hesitation, with doubt, with fear, with any of these things, that's how life is going to show up for you. But if you show up boldly, with courage, with brilliance, with belief in yourself, with a firm commitment, you're good to go. The problem with most people is they're 100% totally committed sometimes. You started to mention something about the success and how, how they look at losing. Is that in the category of there's no such thing as failure and it's all in how you look at it? Well, here's the other thing too, is that I don't believe there's any such thing as a problem. I believe everything is a puzzle. Go ahead. And there are answers to puzzles. And the other thing too is about puzzles. There's oftentimes a gift in the puzzle and you don't have to solve them yourself. So you can get people to help you solve those puzzles and sometimes just knowing. Actually, let me even maybe even share it this way. This is kind of a fun way of looking at it. When I was early in my career, uh, probably this was, this was maybe I was about 20 years old. I had a, a brand new business idea that I wanted to do. And so I was looking for some people to help me and support me. And one of my mentors, who was a billionaire, I decided I would approach him with this and see if he'd invest, right? 
why not? He's got lots of money. Let's see what happens. And so I knock on his door and I bring in this business plan and um, I start going through it with him and I start saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Well, every once in a while he would stop me and he'd say, why don't you try this here? I'd be like, eh, I don't know. I, I, you know, it is my business here. This is how I want to do it. And I'd kind of justify what I was thinking. And I try and convince him that that was a good idea. This is why I did this. Okay. He kind of let that go. Then he showed me another idea and he says, you should try this here. And I'd be like, eh, I don't know about that. This is why I'm doing it. And I kept correcting him again and again and again and again. So in other words, here's this like young kid correcting a billionaire with all this experience. Finally, after a little while, he got really frustrated with me and he put up his hand. And he says, listen, you can be rich or you can be right. You can't be both. He says, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You want to be right? You get to keep everything you've got. You get to stay exactly where you are. Uh, you've heard the saying that says, if you, you know, always do what you've always done, you always get what you always got. He says, if you choose to keep your ego, you get everything that goes with it. And then he said, or you can choose to be rich. And what that means is that you are teachable and you're willing to you know, listen to new ideas and consider other points of view. Well, from that day, I recognize there's a massive difference between people who are trying to get to their goals uh, and there's, how should we say, two groups of people. Once you're committed, you're either stupid or you're tenacious. Stupid, so like stupidity, is being in a room trying to get to the next room and banging your head on the wall in the same spot. Bang, 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 bang. Right? And you'll do that forever. That's stupid. A tenacious person, though, is one who will bang his head in the wall and go, huh, that didn't work. He'll move to a new spot, bang his head. Hmm, that didn't work. And he'll keep doing it till either he finds a window or a door to the other room or someone comes and shows him what to do. Smart people are teachable. Stupid people are not. You get to decide what you're going to be in life. And the problem with most entrepreneurs, why they never reach high levels of success is because they're stupid. They're not teachable. They feel like they've got to have all the answers and they've got to do it themselves. I love what Steve Jobs said one time. He says, we don't hire people smarter than us and then tell them what to do, hmm. right? We've got to be teachable. This is the whole thing with how you're going to grow your wealth. If you want to expand what you have, you have to expand who you are. And that starts by what you're willing to learn. That's the important lesson on that, I, I would feel. Hmm. What mantra do you live by today? Wow. Probably the one that really has made a big difference for me is the one that we share in Personal Power Mastery. As you can imagine, we have people come through all the time that want to change circumstances in their life. They either want to increase their income, they want to fix their relationships, they want to heal things, they want to change things. So this is the saying, if you own it, you can change it. The problem with most people is they are not prepared to own their circumstances. They, be, they believe if the business is bad, it's the marketplace. If, they, if the relationship is terrible, it's that toxic person. If something's not going right, it's someone else. And by the way, that's something else I really disagree with with a lot of personal development people out there. They say, you know, you got to get rid of all the toxic people in your life. I'm here to tell you that that is really not very fair because all of us, including ourselves as humans, are sometimes mean. Sometimes we're nasty. Sometimes you don't catch our best side. Sometimes you don't agree with us. And the truth of the matter is, is if you cannot manage stress, you cannot handle success. And so it's not a matter of getting rid of the toxic people in our life. It's learning how to manage those relationships. And if you look at the most, most successful CEOs in the world, they have toxic people around them. They have people that don't agree with them. They have people that challenge their points of view, that sometimes even call them on their crap. And they don't throw up their hands and say, well, you know, he doesn't like me. 
So therefore he can't be part of my club or he can't be part of my team or no, they actually turn themselves into people who listen and understand. And I'm not saying they accept everything that's told to them, but they at least listen to it and they try to measure it against what they believe. You, you know, if we do that, we found that we learn how to communicate better with people. Most people aren't toxic at all. Now, I'm not saying that we got to tolerate abusive people. That's different, right? But what I'm saying is toxic people. I think we label people as being more toxic than they really are. We've got to be more understanding and empathetic. And I'll never forget this, that I, I you know, I've had customers who come to our companies and our businesses and things haven't been completely right for them. And we could say, well, fire the customer. We, we run a business, not a babysitting service here, right? And sometimes I do, I will fire customers. Sometimes I will, but I won't do it until I've listened. And if they have something valid to share, it could help my business. It could help my life. It could help me. So I put myself as a learner. I'd be tenacious about where I want to go before becoming stupid. And I recognize that I can learn from anybody that comes through my business, not just, again, my own employees or my own insights. We could have an entire episode on just that mantra oh, yeah. that you shared. If what, what is it? If you can own it, you can change it. hundred percent. If you can own it, you can change it. And it's so true over the past, you know, year, two years, whatever it is, I'm still learning to embrace that concept because it's so easy for us to, and what that means is you're, you're putting, you're putting the responsibility or the blame on everything and everyone around you. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Definitely true. It's crazy. And once you take ownership of it, for better or worse, that's when you have the power and you could literally make changes and things, things start happening. It's, 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 it's amazing. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? That's a good question. You know, I, <laughs> I, I love what Bruce Lee said. He says, I, and I'm paraphrasing now, I don't wait for opportunities, I create them. And I think that sometimes some things happen for a reason, but I think we've got to understand what that means. Like, you know, obviously there's cause and effect, but I don't know that everything necessarily, um, how do I even word this? Cause that's a, that's a really, to me, it's a really deep question. I believe again, that we create our opportunities. I believe that things either failure or success have happened because somewhere along the line, something wasn't created correctly or it was created correctly. So in other words, I believe in the law of the harvest, right? Now, I do believe that as well, that the things that we're currently experiencing, we are not consigned to have to accept those as the way they will remain. Maybe that's a better way to say it. So again, if you don't like what's currently appearing in your life right now, it's true. It's there for a reason, probably because you created it. But I'm not saying that you have to accept it. Now, I'm also saying that sometimes, quite frankly, it is true that we can be in a circumstance that wasn't of our own making. We happen to be involved in something that maybe we didn't create. But you know what? What we do with it next is going to make all the difference. It kind of reminds me, I was sitting out front of a hotel one time with Frank McGuire, one of the co-founders of Federal Express. He became like a grandpa to me. And there was this kid loading our luggage into the vehicle and all that. Frank turns, gives him a $5 bill, but he didn't let go of it. The kid then is kind of like weirded out. Okay, this guy's giving me a tip, but he's not letting go of it. Frank turns to me and says, what did I just give you? The kid says, uh, five bucks. Frank goes, well, what's it worth? The kid's like, um, I don't know, five bucks. Frank goes, no, it all depends on what you do with it next. And I think it's really interesting that all circumstances in our life, not just money, 
but relationships, opportunities, everything are all a matter of what we do with them next. I've met a lot of top achievers who have come from some very difficult circumstances. Um, you know, some of them had been through physical abuse, uh, mental abuse, sexual abuse, yet they grew to become some of the top business leaders in the world today. But I've also met people who've been through exactly the same thing and they've let it defeat them. So the question is really like, like whatever circumstance you have in your life today, okay, whatever you have right now up until now, kind of reminds me of the word now, right? Because we talked about that, the word now. The word now is actually the most fragile word in the English dictionary. In fact, even as you whisper it, it's gone. Now, it's gone, right? But it is really the only word that matters too. Because I don't care where you've been in the past and what you've been through, you have now which means you have now new choices. And too many people also put power in the future saying, one day I'll do it, one day I'll get to it. When the circumstances are right, I'll do it. Well, the truth of the matter is, I love what John Lennon said. He said, life is what happens to us while we're making other plans. We can't count on the future. In fact, you might walk out of the studio right now, we might get hit by a car, right? You don't know if you've got a future, but you do have now. And if you wanna choose now, yeah, there's those nice, beautiful motivational posters with a kitty cat on them that we've all seen that says, if you take the word now and you spell it backwards, you've won. And I think that's kind of cute. Okay, that's nice. But now after having interviewed more than 400 of the world's top achievers, the one thing I can tell you for sure, if you take the word now, the letters N-O-W, and you wrote them out N-O-W, they actually stand for something else. And that's no other way. If you want to be successful, you must use now because it represents no other way. The past doesn't matter, it's irrelevant. The future hasn't arrived, not guaranteed. But right now, right now you can do something and that's what's going to now create a future. Kind of like what you and I were talking about. Do we believe things happen for a reason? Maybe, maybe not. But don't worry about it. Get working with what you have now and you'll find that you can shape whatever you want to arrive in the future. Hmm. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? I think so. I think we all are, uh, whether we admit it or not. <laughs> you know, it's funny, even these people who are, you know, uh, in, in not believing in, in an energy force or a universe or a God or whatever you want to call them, I believe that they have a level of spirituality too. In fact, I think one of the definitions of spirituality is how we're all connected to each other, right? I think that that's a measure of, you know, of uh, what you believe. And if you act in harmony ethically with that, I believe that's a form of spirituality, hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So I definitely do have a faith and, and I, I believe, you know, in a higher power than us. I mean, you know, um, put it this way, even in this earth, in this planet, in every existence, there's people smarter than me and people dumber than me. And so I know that I'm not at the top of the food chain. And I know that those people who I believe are at the top of the food chain, they've got people smarter than them somewhere. So, you know, I think really uh, there, was, there was something that I read one time that I thought was really powerful. It said, the glory of God is intelligence. And I think that, you know, as we get closer to, you know, if you want to call him God or you want to call him the creator, I think that essentially it's, it's just the ultimate intelligence. It is a powerful principle of intelligence and you know i think that uh i've had ideas in my life where inspiration has come to me that has not been my own and i'm not just talking business here even over my family or or my own life there's things that have uh, crept into my heart and my mind that i knew came from outside of me and so uh yeah i definitely believe in that what do you believe happens when it's all over 
when our time here on earth comes to an end? You're asking me questions I'm not qualified to answer. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, goodness sakes. I, I, I definitely believe there's an existence after this life. I believe that, in fact, um, we are going to continue with our personalities and our energy and our mind. Um, I believe that, you know, we'll have a greater perspective than what we currently have. So I think we're going to be a lot more kind and forgiving than we have ever been. I think we're also going to be astonished by how sometimes naive and cruel we were to people based on our limited understanding of what we thought was correct. I think that um, we're going to be more inclusive to those. Um, I, I just, I just really think that once we can kind of escape, you know, if you think about, you know, with an afterlife, if there's people that are, uh, have died from every century that's gone before, they're going to have some insights to us that even some of the history that we've understood in the world was just not quite accurate, right? Like there's going to be some stuff that we've just been uh, only given part of the story in our mortal existence. And I think just being able to access a greater understanding of who we are in that context is going to, yeah, it's going to be an interesting experience, but it's going to, I think going to make us a lot more compassionate to people, a lot more forgiving. And you thought you weren't qualified to answer. I don't know if that's a good answer, though. There's people far better than me to answer this. But yeah. uh, I will leave you with this final question. Doug Vermeeren, how would you like to be remembered? Well, that's a good question. Wow. Well, I, I think that the biggest thing is, is um, for me, uh, somebody that cared, right? Somebody that cared. I care about my family. I care about my students. I care about the people in my life. And I think if people, you know, can look back fondly and, and know that I was interested to see them to, to be happy and successful, I think that's probably enough for me. I don't really need any big monuments or anything like that that say he was here. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is what do they say? You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in the seeds. I think the best monuments that a person can ever leave is that the things that you taught somebody carried on through their life and blessed other lives to come. Well, my goodness, did you teach me so much? I am here literally scribbling notes, uh, time stamping this whole thing, because I personally am going to go back and truly re-listen, re-listen. My man, you are, you're good. Thank you for um, showing up today. Well, you know, the, the thing about this too is that I know a lot of times personal development teachers get blamed for you changed my life. Well, the truth of the matter is, is let's look at the honesty of that. And the reason why some of this maybe resonated with you is because I think that, again, you've already yearned after some of these answers, you know, and I think that one of the other reasons, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm going to shoot the whole interview down with just this one point is that there are some people that will resonate with the things that you teach. You and I resonate together, right? That's why we found this valuable. But there's also other people that are going to look at it and go, yeah, what a load of crap right? And so I think part of life, remember I said earlier, it's meshing your passion, your purpose with others that have the same passion and purpose. And when you find those that resonate with you, stay close to them. You know, that's, that's your team that you want to be part of. You don't want to try and convince someone to believe something they don't. And if they don't believe in that, or they don't follow these ideas, they have that freedom to do so. And we've got to respect that. And so I think it's just important that we recognize that if you resonate with a teacher, all I'm saying is stick with them. And if you don't, no problem. Part ways in peace.
Well, I'm going to stick with you, and I'm sure so many of our listeners will. Again, thank you, Doug, for showing us your way. I love it. Um, we're going to link to uh, everything that we alluded to and discussed in and around this episode. Thank you for showing up, opening up, and thank you for everybody tuning in and spending your time. If you got something out of it, do something with it. Let us know. Say hello and uh, stay in touch. There's another episode not too far behind. And until it is there, do your best work and go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.